glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Luke chapter 1. Would you stand with me this morning as we'll read some scriptures here? We'll read verses 5 through 23 here to begin with, Luke chapter 1. I love verses 1 through 4. For time's sake, I didn't include those in the reading, and I encourage you to read those in your own time, the introduction to the book of Luke. But Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him, in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them and they perceived that he had been a vision, that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own House. We'll stop reading there. Thank you. You can be seated. I'll give you just three points this morning if we might establish what we want to see here today. Uh, as, hold your finger in Romans, or excuse me, Luke 1, and if you would turn to Romans chapter 4. And as you turn to Romans 4, I'm going to read again what the angel Gabriel told him about his, his chastisement that was going to come, or if you would, a consequence for not believing God. It says in verse 20, Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled. The word performed or the idea of God performing what he promises is throughout Luke chapter 1. We'll see it later when it comes out of the mouth of Elizabeth. She assures Mary that what God had promised to Mary he would perform. And then in the end of this text, once Zacharias gets his tongue back, one of the first things he says is God is going to perform everything he's promised to the nation of Israel. He's in the process of performing a hundreds years old a promise to the nation of Israel. So the concept of God performing is throughout Luke 1. I think we would all agree the greatest event in human history is when Jesus Christ came to this earth. 
if you believe the Bible, and you should believe the Bible because it's true, then we recognize that the greatest event in human history, as far as man is concerned, as far as God is concerned, is when Christ Jesus came into this world because he is the only true solution to the problem of humanity. Humanism is not the solution. I, I'm, I'm grateful for our form of government, the, form, the freedom it allows us, but how many of us know even this form of government that allows us such freedom is flawed and is not the solution to human problems? It's not. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful for so many things, but the fact is everything man has done to try, we hear a, a crowd in our nation today say socialism or communism is the solution to human woes. All you got to do is study history to know that's not true. <laughs> We can go into, uh, uh, we, we could say this, monarchies and despotism, that's not the solution. So man has tried every form of human government you can try. It has not solved the problem of man. Because the problem of man is not outward governance, it's inward sin. The fundamental problem in man is sin. This is the fundamental difference between Bible Christianity and humanism. Humanism says every man has a little good in him. Bible Christianity says without Jesus Christ, man has no good in him. He's utterly sinful and therefore will sin. That's why we've corrupted our world and that's why we corrupt one another and why death reigns in this world and has. We've seen that we see the death of humans individually. You see the death of nations, the deaths of families. I mean, fact is the world has seen death upon death because of sin, but Christ came. And so then when Christ came, God performed do, you have any, do we have any idea how many performances, how many promises God performed all in one event? when Christ came into this world. And thankfully, He did not only come into the world, He came into the world, took our sin, both in His living and His death, and conquered it. He did what man cannot do. So having said all of that, you'll only access the good things of God by believing that what He promises, He's able also to perform. And that's what Abraham did. That's why we are called the children of Abraham by faith. When we join Abraham in saying, if God promised it, He can do it. If God promised it, He can do it. Then you'll receive what God has promised. Romans chapter 4 verse 20 says, Speaking of Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. May I say this again? For those of you here this morning who have assurance of your salvation, you are sure that your sins have been forgiven, You gained that assurance when you became persuaded that what God has promised, He's able also to perform. Can I get very practical? For me, Romans 10, 13 became a reality when I got saved. I believed that if I would call on the name of the Lord out of faith, not just say a prayer, but if I would actually call on the Lord Jesus, trusting Him, He would save me from my sin and from an eternity in hell. I believed that. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Is that a promise? It is. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Meaning, if you let him know you're trusting him for salvation, he'll give it to you. He's the Savior. John 3.16, in it is a promise. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but what? Maybe someday get. Have everlasting 
life. Throughout the Bible, we see that God has promised everlasting life to the believer in Jesus Christ. Believing in Jesus Christ, by the way, is not something you did. It's something you do. Please don't miss what I just said. Believing in Jesus Christ is not something you did one time. It's something you do. You just began believing in Him at some point. You've not always believed in Christ. No person has. You have to come to faith in Him in the Word of God. But if you'd ask me, who are you trusting to make you righteous? I'd say, Jesus Christ. You say, when did that happen? So I came to that faith. I was persuaded of the Word of God concerning Christ as a little boy. But I still believe it because He's worthy of my trust. Today, I received assurance of salvation by believing that what God had promised, He was able also to perform. I have assurance of salvation the same way, believing that what God has promised, He is able also to perform. But how many of you know that belief in, a, in forgiveness of sins is the initial faith you place in Christ and there's going to be many other things He wants to do with you and through you after saving you. So He's rescued you from sin. But that's not the end, that's the beginning. Your sanctification is accomplished by faith. Do you how many of you realize this morning if you're saved that Jesus Christ is currently actively working in you to purify you and make you useful in his service? Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let me read you another text very quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Great verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul was praying for the Thessalonians. And don't lose me. We'll be back to Luke 1 here in just a minute. I just want us to see this morning that believing the promises of God was not for somebody back in the Old Testament or somebody back in the New Testament. It's for uh, uh, every generation. God has promises to people, and there are promises that are specific to us today, and we lay claim on those promises by taking God at His word, believing He can do what He's promised to do. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 The Bible says uh, in verse 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. means let God is... I'm praying for God to touch every part of you, spirit, soul, and body, and sanctify you. Titus said it this way, Purify you unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's the idea of sanctification. And I pray your whole spirit and soul and body, we're in verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5, And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless, under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you think of that as, man, that's impossible. To live a life free of blame until Jesus comes. Meaning, someone charging you with doing something against the Lord or another person in your spirit, soul, or body, and you actually, you're, you're blameless. It's not true. You can't be blamed. You have lived with a good conscience. But Paul said that's what he was praying for these Thessalonians. That, that God would preserve you, your, your whole spirit and soul and body, meaning the attitudes of your heart, the thoughts of your mind, the actions of your body, blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shouldn't Paul understand you don't pray things that are impossible? Verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. My question, I guess, coming in this message this morning, is is God still able to perform what he promises? Is God able to keep his promises? I was looking at this message this morning and comparing it with how many times in the New Testament that the Bible refers to God as faithful. Because that's what we're looking at. God makes certain promises and we need to ask, is he faithful? You know, sometimes we make promises to each other and some of the most faithful people you know at times are incapable of fulfilling the promises they make. 
Someone says, you know what, we're going to go and, and uh, two weeks from today, we're going to go on a waterfowl hunt together. We're going to bring some hunting dogs and shotguns and decoys. And Boy, we set a date. And two nights before you call your hunting partner and say, I'm not going anywhere. Man, I've got pneumonia. I'd love to come, but I can't follow through. To you and I, we are hindered by things out of our control. There's nothing out of God's control. So he's not hindered by anything. What God promises, he's able and will perform. And so as we look at Zacharias this morning, I just want to consider some things in his life that will serve both as a reproof and a rebuke to us, but also an exhortation to us, an encouragement to us that when we come to the place where we realize we are wrong when we don't believe God can perform what he promises, and the moment we do believe it, we're on the right side of things, that's how we're going to go forward to where God wants us to be next in our Christian lives. If you're not saved this morning, God wants to save you. He wants to make you one of His children. All that's necessary on your part is believe that He can do it. Can God take a sinner and turn him into a saint? Let me say this morning, if you're a sinner and don't want to be a saint, God can't help you. If you don't want to be what God wants you to be, then you're not repentant yet. You don't believe yet that God's right and you're wrong. Repentance has to come first. But let's assume this morning you say, you know what? I'm an old sinner. I don't want to be. I know I disobey God. I know I displease God. I don't want to be. I don't deserve to go to heaven. If God sent me to hell, I deserve it. But that's not what I want to be. Then let me say, God can save you and make you a new creature. You just have to believe that what He promised He can perform. That's salvation. Preacher, I'm saved, but I still struggle with that old life. I'm told to put off the old man and put on the new. Uh, I'm told to be a... I'm, I was told I'm a new creature, but I find a, a, an impossibility to live up to what I'm supposed to be. Well, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Jesus said, without me ye can do nothing. But he also said, if we abide in him and his words abide in us, we'll ask what we will and it shall be done unto us. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And answers our prayer, he said that he is, uh, uh, he'll not allow us or suffer us to be tempted above that we are able, but God is faithful, the Bible says, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You know what he's saying? I am able as my child to deliver you from the practicality of sin in your life. The question is, do we believe him? Every forward progress and growth in the Christian life, whether it is when you're born again, that is by faith. And then if you're going to grow as a child, what happens is when we believe that God is able to do what he's promised, we'll see him do it and we'll grow. And so we look at Zacharias. Now, Zacharias, by all accounts, was a, a, a very spiritually matured man in Luke chapter 1. The first thing I want us to see about him this morning is the declaration that he was given. God told him some very definitive things. We say, boy, I wish God would tell me some definitive things. Everything seems to be cloudy and in the dark, I can't quite understand what God's saying to me. Then you're not hearing the Lord because the, the Lord is light and His Word is light. You realize God does say definitive things to us too. He says some definitive things. What makes it cloudy is we get the same problem Zacharias had. We don't, we don't take him at his word and uh, count him able to overcome the impossibilities, but Zacharias was given a, a, a declaration. Let's consider the illumination he was given. Here's Zacharias. He is doing the will of God. The Bible says he and his wife were walking in the ordinances of the Lord and the commandments of the Lord blameless. Meaning here's, they, they would picture someone who today has been saved for many years and is living a faithful, they were godly people. We looked at godliness in Sunday school. Zacharias and Elizabeth were godly people. 
How do you know this though? When, when you turn like 60, 65, really God can't use you anymore. Because once you get that old, you're kind of past your usefulness. You're, you're worn out and God really doesn't have anything else for you to do. So just go off in retirement and into the sunset in bliss. Y'all look at me like, are you serious? No, I'm not serious. Of course not. You think about the people in the Bible that God used in the latter portion of their life greater than in the beginning. Moses was 80 before God really started using him in a powerful way. And he only lived 40 more years. Meaning two-thirds of his life was done. He lived the golden years, not because they were fun or enjoyable, because they were rich in eternal treasure in the last third of his life. Let me tell you something. We tell young people, we don't tell them. The flesh and the devil and the world says when you're young, there are ambitions and exciting things that you need to pursue and God's going to get in the way of that. So wait until you're a little older, then live the godly life. Because if you live a godly life, man, there's some things you're going to miss out on. Then when you're middle years, it's like, well, but you've got a family to take care of now and you'll probably be able to focus a little more attention on living for God later. And then once you get to 60, 65, well, you're just too tired now. And the devil talked you out of ever living for God at all. Here I find Zacharias was just faithfully doing what God had given him to do. He's a priest, so by his calling and his his birth and some things were handed down to him from God through the law of God. He had a responsibility in the temple and he would burn incense. And there were so many priests then that it fell by lot. and It was his lot to go and burn incense, which represents prayer. And obviously Zacharias was a man who had communion with God because at some time he had asked God, would you please give my wife a child? We're not able to have children. Would you please bless her? We've looked at this text before. That prayer had to have been uttered a long time ago. Because obviously we know Zacharias believed once he got to a certain age, it was impossible. This isn't something he had prayed in a long, long time. How long, how many, how long in Zacharias' life did God have planned to use he and Elizabeth to bring John the Baptist into the world? Before he was born, I assume. God already knew what he planned to do with him. He already had a plan for his life. He, he already had a plan for how he'd use this man. Now, we can't think like God because we can't see in the future, but that's God's perspective. He knew this. But from Zacharias' perspective, he had prayed. God had said no. He didn't get what he'd asked for. He's going to keep on serving God. But he realized God had another task for Zacharias and Elizabeth that was of eternal proportion. Zacharias didn't know. But God was going to inform him. Now, I know what, what happened is Zacharias kind of got some prep for this. First, he saw an angel one day and realized, oh, it's an angel. and Kind of got prepped for it. No, out of the blue. What gave Zacharias warning that God was about to do something mighty in his life? Nothing. He's just fulfilling his duty. Going to the temple, I'm going to serve God the best I can. And he goes in there in the place and the people are without praying. And God speaks to him. Some get this picture of Gabriel. The Bible doesn't say he had a halo. The Bible doesn't say he glowed. Well, I think you say, but it scared him. You know how many people were in there when you offered incense ever? None. Nobody's allowed in there. Only the priest. So if there's anybody in there, that'd be like walking into your basement at night and you know your whole family is out of town and somebody's in there waiting on you. Be a little scary. You know nobody's supposed to be there. Zacharias walks in. Gabriel says to him, I've got a message for you. And he may, the message is abundantly clear. He says to him, uh, verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. 
And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, by the way, let's remind you what angel means. I understand in the Bible, in Revelation, Ezekiel, sometimes the angels have an odd appearance. They are described as seraphims that have wings and cherubims. But anytime they appear to man, you know what angels look like? Men. So let's not get mystical. I think there's been a lot of damage done to the Bible by people making it more mysterious than God makes it. Gabriel has to tell him who he is. Zacharias doesn't seem, oh, it's Gabriel. I saw a picture of you. No, he doesn't know. So here's an angel. The word angel means what? Messenger. He's a messenger from God. Now, this particular angel is Gabriel that we hear about in the book of Daniel and here in the book of Luke. So anyway, the angel said to him, fear not, Zacharias. His first message to him was about the disposition of his spirit. You have a hard time hearing from God as long as your heart is filled with fear. I can testify to that. Fear crowds out the voice of God. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The first thing God is saying to him is fear not. You know what he's saying? I've got something good here. I'm not here to hurt you. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And so he says to him, fear not, Zacharias. I've got good news for you. Thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. How specific is this message? Pretty clear. First of all, I'm here to tell you, God heard your prayer. Now, if he stopped there, Zacharias might be like, well, what prayer? I've uttered a lot of prayers. But he gets very specific. He says, thy wife is going to bear a child, and you're going to name him John. So here's what I came to tell you. God was listening to your prayer. God is going to give you a son, and you're going to call him John, all right? And verse 15, For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, at which time it's time to do some shouting. God says, I've heard your prayer. Your long desire to have a son has been answered. Your wife's going to bear a son, not just a son. I think of a couple in the Old Testament named Manoah and his wife, parents to Samson. They got a similar message one day from an angel. Your wife's going to have a... He told Manoah's wife, you're going to have a child... And uh, when Manoah, the husband, heard about it, he said, well, how are we going to order him? How are we going to raise him? But if you were told you are going to have a Samson and he was going to turn out like Samson, you might have reason to say, I pass on that one. Samson was a heartbreak to his mom and dad. But that's not the message that Zacharias got. He said, you're going to have a son. Not only is he going to be a son, not only are you going to name him John, this son is going to be what every godly father would dream of. I'm going to use your son in a powerful way. He'll live a pure and holy life. He's not going to touch alcohol, strong drink, and wine. He's going to stay separated unto God. He's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Meaning, this is not a sinless son, but he's going to be a child under the leadership and influence of God. From the day he's born, I'm going to use him like I used Elijah. He is going to stir the heart of a nation to get a people ready for God. Man, that's a good message. And how did Zacharias respond? Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, my wife well stricken in years. He responded the exact same way we do to many of God's clear promises and commandments. Well, that sounds nice. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Well, nobody can live like that. In everything give thanks for this will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. (laughs) Not in this world. Oh, 
How many of you would find great joy if you truly could be a thankful person every day for all things? Isn't that a good message that we are not only able, but we're commanded to be a thankful people? Rejoice evermore. Uh, in everything give thanks. The Bible says rejoice uh, in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Boy, I wish I could be the kind of person that rejoices all the time. Well, we could if we had more confidence in God. You say, I can't live like that. That's not the question. Can God enable you to? The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every preacher. creature. I wish I were more outgoing. See where the focus is at? I wish I had the ability to live the life God commands me to. We already know you don't, or you wouldn't need Jesus to have saved you. So the question is not, can I perform? Don't misunderstand me. We need to perform, and you'll find Zacharias and Elizabeth had a part in this. They had to believe God. They had to cooperate with God's promises. But you'll not cooperate with God's will until you believe He can do what He promised. See, He is able to do, hear me now, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And we quote that verse, but we don't much believe it. We focus on what we're able to do without regard to what He is able to do God is able to raise up... Are we in probably as an ungodly culture as America has seen in hundreds of years? See, this culture's never been this ungodly. I'd say you could make your case. We've had some ungodly times. The Roaring Twenties was wicked. You study the 1850s and 60s prior to the Civil War, a wicked society. Don't think that there was this holy little society, everyone running around loving each other. It was wicked. When Jonathan Edwards came and preached and George Whitfield came and preached in the 1700s, there were men who were mocking church services through witchcraft. Some of them helped to found our nation. <laughs> I'm not ripping on all the founders. That's not what I just did. But some of them, Benjamin Franklin was a wicked man if you study his life in England. To my knowledge, he never repented, though under, he heard this, the preaching of George Whitfield. You say, what's your point? We at one point in time have had some very wicked times, but I believe in the history of our nation, you could compare those times and say, boy, it was wicked. But I think this generation's got a corner on it. Now, I could be wrong, but we have got people thumbing their nose at God in the streets and clearly, openly worshiping Satan without shame. How in the world do a people live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? Here's, I'm trying to make a comparison. You say, well, if, you know, if I were 90 and God said me and my wife were going to have a baby, I'd have a hard time believing him, but God ever, had never told me anything like that. Sure he has. We, we hesitate at the promises of God and the power of God just like others have. We have at our disposal the same God who put John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth. We have the same God dwelling in our hearts if we're saved this morning. Now, do we believe he's able to do what he promises? Is he able to enable us to be the people he's called us to be? God was calling Zacharias and Elizabeth to be parents. Was he not? Now, what if this is all God did? He said, now, Zacharias, I want you and Elizabeth to have a child. And if you can do it, I'll use that child to prepare the way of the Lord. So you figure it out now. That's the way Abraham looked at it until he came to believe that God could perform what he promised. Abraham says, well, God wants, he's told me, he's going to make me a great nation. But the last time I checked, you've got to have kids if you're going to have a nation. God's told me that in our family, all the families of the earth will be blessed, but it's hard for your family to bless other families if you don't have a family. 
So God, Abraham decided, I'll help God out. Sarah can't have a child, so we'll do this little mental trick. I'll take Hagar, say she's my wife when she's not. Her child, we'll say, is Sarah's child, and we'll do this little trickery, and we'll help God keep his word. This is what we do, and we try to help God produce in our lives. All he wants us to do is believe him. Do you realize when God saved us, he gave us all we need in Christ Jesus? What happens is we have to learn that our flesh cannot produce what God's expectations are, that he'll do the miraculous. We just have to do the practical. But we'll not do the practical and see his miraculous until we believe he can do the miraculous. See, this morning, God has not told us, save yourself, make yourself new. He said, I'll do that. You believe me. He has told us to live God in Christ Jesus, but he's also told us that he dwells in us and is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us by the Lord Jesus Christ. So I say all this to say and try to make some practical application. God made a very clear promise and a a revelation of his will for Zacharias and Elizabeth to Zacharias. So it's clear illumination just as we have in our Bibles for us but we not only see the illumination in this declaration, we see the impossibility. We know that there comes a point where two people cannot produce children anymore. How many of us think it might have helped Zacharias if he had had knowledge of the account of Abraham and Sarah? Oh, but he did. Did he already know that God can give elderly folk who are past childbearing years children? He did. You see, I'm trying to make a comparison. How many of us have read in our Bible the account of God doing miraculous things with people, taking men like the Gadarene who was sold out to Satan and changing him and transforming him so that you could see the inward transformation outwardly. How many of us have read that? But do we believe that God can still do that today? That he's able to make a man a new creature? No, what we need to do is we've got to pull some trickery and make the man look like a new creature, though he's still the same old sinner on the inside. That's false religion. What happens here is there's illumination given, but the illumination revealed an impossibility. God says, I want you and your wife to have a child. And Zacharias was only too aware of how old he was and how old his wife was. And so then the implication of this promise was God's saying he's going to do something that everybody knows can't be done. Now, I know nobody in this room has ever sat there before. You've never read your Bible and read what God wants to do and said, well, that would be nice, but that's impossible. I know me. All right, let's go back to the, this matter of giving the gospel to people. What does it take? What is the number, the, the word that is so associated with declaring the gospel that we need when giving the gospel? It's in the book of Acts, it's in Ephesians, it's in Colossians, that it needs to be given with what? Boldness. Well, what if you're not this bold personality? Then we read that and say, well, that's for somebody else. We understand by the Spirit of God, I want to use you to boldly proclaim, preach the gospel to another human. And we think, I can't do that. Isn't that why Zacharias discounted the will of God for his life? God says, I want you and your wife to have a child. And he says, I can't do it. God didn't expect him to, as far as the miracle is concerned. You realize God delights in doing impossible things. Because you know why? You couldn't look at Zacharias and Elizabeth and say, man, 
you know what, we ought to get them together with a lot of other older couples who would like to have children. They can counsel them on, you know, what to do to have children when you're past 80. Most 80-year-olds would say, no, thank you. At <laughs> all, as far as I know. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, God said, I want to do something with your life. And Zacharias never considered it in the moment that it's possible because he looked at his own incapability rather than the capability of the one who promised it. And so then, uh, there was illumination, very clear illumination, but there was an impossibility because of the implications, meaning if Zacharias and Elizabeth are going to have to have children, we're going to have to be able to do that, and we're past childbearing years. And so then that brings us to Zacharias' disbelief. Verse 18, And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? I mean, you've told me something. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. You're saying my wife's going to have a child. We're going to name him John. He's going to be great. God's got to... I mean, the angel quotes a piece of Scripture from the Old Testament saying, your son is going to fulfill an Old Testament passage of Scripture. And Zechariah said to the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. I, I brought you good news. Now, some might say, well, Pastor, you just said he probably didn't recognize him as an angel. So doesn't, doesn't Zacharias get a pass there? I mean, if Gabriel just looked like another man, how many of you know you can come to me and start telling me my most personal prayer request for me and my family? How many of you could meet me in a room alone and say, Pastor, I know you prayed this 31 years ago. The only person who would know that Zacharias prayed that would be him and his wife and God. He had enough evidence in front of him to know that he was hearing directly through this angel from God. To know, I'm not just hearing some man give me some harebrained idea. Zacharias should have known it was God speaking to him. It's kind of like Peter on the boat saying, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee. Well, if it's not him, don't call him Lord. How many times is God speaking to us? We're like, well, if this is the Lord, look it. We need to step back and know that it is. <laughs> if God's speaking into your heart things that only God would know, only God would know. If you said, you know, everybody around me thinks I'm saved, but I keep, I keep being dealt with about my need to be saved, then you might perk up if everybody else doesn't know you're not saved. I'm not trying to get anybody saved to think they're lost. That is not what I'm trying to do. Let me be very careful. If you're saved, God saved you. But it could be God was dealing with somebody that's, that's not born again. And, or maybe you've got some inward, deep, personal struggle. And God continues to speak to you about that. And only you and God know about it. But He continues to speak to you about that through your Bible reading and through preaching. And every time the name of the Lord comes up, the message is clear to you what God wants to do with your life. And you say, that can't be God because it's impossible. That's probably the evidence that it is God. I can promise you, knowing my own personality, the fact that I stand before you today preaching with a heart that loves to preach is a miracle from God. I am not naturally bent to be a up in front of people. You say, but I don't believe it. That's fine, but God and I know. <laughs> and I believe the Lord does that very often, very often, so that it's the Lord's doing and not our own. So he had an illumination, very clear what God said. An impossibility, the implications were out of the question. And that led to his disbelief. The case Zacharias makes for why this cannot be has only to do with the, imposs- the incapability of him and his wife. There was a weakness in their life that made this impossible. We can't produce what God's saying he wants produced. I hear you, I hear you, but the case was made. Now here I want you to see how serious this was. When he says, how, these, how am I going to know? 
The angel says, verse 20, And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. There's that word. This is going to happen. God's promised it. Till the day these things be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. I don't lie. I've told you what's going to happen, what God plans to do. And because you haven't believed, there's a consequence in your life. You're going to lose your, you're going to lose your speech. You say, well, does there any application to us in that? How many of us like to be listened to when we talk? I do. I, I like not, I don't, I don't mean to be heard. You have to hear me right now unless you'll be rude and walk out. But there's a difference in being heard and being listened to. Right? How many of you, when you speak to your children, you like when they perk up and listen, pay attention, follow through? You talk to your mate and he or she listens to you. They attentively listen. We like to be listened to. Listening and speaking have to do with influence. And in essence, you see a principle carried out. If you are not going to listen to God, God's going to take away your ability to be listened to. There was a direct connection between you've not listened and believed what I said, so I'm going to limit your ability to be heard. Well, I tell you what, nothing will muffle our influence. Nothing will muffle our figurative voice like not believing God. I believe that. And what happens is God says, I want you to realize that not taking me at my word when you've got the fact in front of you that it's my word. See, Zacharias didn't say, how can this be? This isn't the word of God. He said, I don't understand. You know, Prove to me this is true because of my age. He looked inward and said, I have the capability to produce this, so it must not be so. And he says, there's a consequence. And he lost his speech. And so we understand by the time the chapter's over, he's having to write things out. So he didn't fully lose his influence. He just lost his ability to speak. And God was teaching him, it is serious to not believe that God can perform what he promises. It's a serious matter. We need to, it's a form of chastisement in Zacharias' life. And I believe this. Not only ch- God's chastisement is not because he's just upset and wants to give us a whooping. His chastisement is to teach us something. So every time Zacharias wanted to say something to Elizabeth, he's reminded, I better believe God. <sighs> every time he can't speak for nine long months, he is reminded how important it is to just take God at his word. God was not just saying, you didn't listen to me, <clears throat> I'll show you. There was a lesson to be learned. God's chastisement is to teach us to bear the peaceable fruits of righteousness. You know what I think God was doing for Zacharias? I'm going to help make sure you never make this mistake again. How many of you know there are consequences for decisions? By the way, is unbelief sin? Here's a seasoned saint who exercised the sin. He didn't take God at his word. And there was a consequence. I believe this is the last time Zacharias didn't believe what God said. God cured him, didn't he? Every time he went to, how about this? Elizabeth comes in one day and says, Honey, you believed God. That boy's coming. What did he say? He couldn't. How, How much praise, genuine praise for God do you think was bottled up inside of this man? Well, by the end of the chapter, you'll find out. Because as soon as he gets his tongue, you know what he does? He doesn't say, what can God do? He says, let me tell you what God can do. Uh, How many times is our voice only uttered to express, well, this godly life that we're supposed to live, nobody can live that. Well, that's true if God is dead. But he's not dead. He came out alive after three days in the grave. He's not dead. He is alive and capable today of performing what he promised, including the promise to come again. 
Many a Christian today is discouraged saying, I believe on paper that Jesus is coming again, but I just don't feel like it. Your feelings and my feelings have absolutely nothing to do with it. Of course we don't feel like it when you're under the drudgery of life every day, but He said, if I go, I will come again. Amen? And you and I need to realize today what He promised, He is able also to perform He promised to supply grace to us in our time of need, mercy in our time of need. Then I can tell you on the authority of His Word, He's able to perform that. Whether we feel like it's in our experience or not, it's on the Word of God. So Zacharias' disbelief, the case for it was, hey, you and I could have made the case for him. It's impossible. You're saying God's going to give these two old people a child. That's impossible. The consequence was a constant reminder of the importance of believing God, a constant reproof for not believing God, and an instruction to believe Him when He speaks. But then we not only see Zacharias' declaration, that was clearly given, but impossible, his disbelief based on what he could see, not what he was told, and then thirdly, his deliverance, verses 24 and uh, 25, excuse me, go down to, uh, yeah, verse 24. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. She didn't say, What a wonderful husband I have. No, her husband had not been able to help her with that. God blessed them in their marriage. And by the way, without being out of the way, obviously at some point Zacharias decided to believe God because his wife did have a child. Amen? Obviously, there was a an acting upon the promise of God. And so, uh, there was a persuasion in Zacharias after... By the way, Gabriel said, So you'll know that God can perform, and because you didn't believe Him, I'm going to take away your speech. And then what happened? He took away his speech. So again, what God promised through Gabriel happened. I'm assuming every time he couldn't speak, he thought, Well, if he could take my tongue, he can give my wife a child. He said he's going to take my speech, and he did it. So he said he's going to give my wife a child. He's going to do it. You know, God has a way of convincing us that when we don't believe him, we're wrong. (laughs) When God promises something, no matter how impossible it seems to our finite mind, if God promised it, he'll perform it. And there, there are little things in life. I'll be honest with you. If losing my speech for a little while would convince me more fully that Jesus is literally coming, it would be worth it. What hasn't happened is God deals with us in a very personal way to convince us, I can be trusted. My word is true. And here's why he has to, Satan works through circumstances of life. Our flesh is reasons this way to discredit God's ability, to discredit his word, and God will defend his own word. What he promises, he'll perform. And so then there came in Zacharias's life a point where he was persuaded that what God said he'll do He'll perform. We see that by the fact that his wife did uh, become of child. She did become uh, pregnant. And so we know that at some point he was persuaded it was true. There was practicality in this. Look in verse 57. The practicality of his decisions tells us that he was persuaded that what God said he was able to perform. In chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 57. And uh, Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a son... And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he should be called John. And they said to her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. 
and they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. The only form of communication he could have, he used to communicate, I'm going to do what God said. May I say this? The best evidence that you've believed that God will perform what he's promised to perform is simple obedience in our lives. As Zacharias obeyed the Lord, somebody say, why are you calling him John? What would Zacharias' answer be if he could speak? The same one that gave this child said to name him that, and so we'll just do things his way. And I say this, faith is manifest in works. We're talking about his deliverance. Obviously, at some point, Zacharias took the rebuke of God and said, when I didn't believe that God would perform his words, I was wrong. God can do it, and God will. And he got on page with the Lord and said, you know what, honey, we're going to have a child. I don't know, I don't know how he... I don't know how he convinced her. Maybe she, she must not have had the unbelief Zacharias did. Or by the time he came home and couldn't speak, she probably said, what's wrong with you? You can't talk. And he probably wrote out, if I could, you'd blow your mind. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, he repented of that. Aren't you glad that God gives us repentance? Aren't you glad that there are times God says something and we don't think it's true? You know what repentance is? When we change what we believe to believe what God says. I think this because I don't believe that that's possible. But God said this, so I change. I am wrong. God said it. That's right. At some point, that's exactly what Zacharias did. I said we couldn't have children, but obviously I was wrong. God said we can, so we can. Someone says, I don't see how it's possible that in six literal days God could speak the world into existence. It doesn't matter if we think it's possible. It's what he said. And faith says, well, I believe him. Well, I can't explain it. Well, the evolutionists have tried, and look what a mess they've made. <laughs> you don't have to explain it. All you have to do is believe it. God said it. How do you know God said it? If by this point we don't know God said this, we got problems. There's much evidence that this is God's word, that Gabriel was from God. We have more than enough evidence. That, I'll be honest, we waste a lot of time trying to prove that the Bible's true. It's already been done. Can I say that again? We waste a lot of time trying to prove that the Bible's true. It's already been done. Just believe it. The Bible is true. It's been proven. Take God at his word. There will be practical aspects of our life that reveal we've been delivered from that unbelief. Zacharias simply named him John. I've got a question. How big of a deal is it what you name your kid? Well, it's kind of a big deal. In this one, it was a really big deal. Why was it such a big deal what they named him? Because God took time to articulate what he wanted that child named. Anything God has taken time to command particularly is a big deal. Whether it's a thought an action, an attitude. There are no small acts of obedience. If it's obedience to God, it's a big deal. If it's disobedience to God, no matter how minor that disobedience may seem, it's a big deal. Any disobedience to God is a big deal. So any obedience is a big deal. So they named him John. That's the practical evidence that he had been delivered from what his unbelief. And then finally, we only see his persuasion, the practicality of his obedience but then his praise, look at verse 64. Uh, so after he writes and says his name is John, they marveled all, verse 64, and his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed and he spake and said, man, I'm glad I can talk again. Let me, no, and he spake and what's the first thing he does with his tongue? And praised God. Why is he praising God? Because what God promises, he is able also to perform. He knew what he was experiencing was the work of God Verse 65, And fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these things were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. 
And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to, what's the next word? Perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. If you look back in Luke 1, when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, listen to what Elizabeth says to Mary. The Bible says in verse uh, 39, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, and whence is this to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Can I get real practical this morning with you? What promises of God are you appropriating in your life today because you believe that what he promised you he'll perform? I'm trusting him to save me. That's good. What else? He's promised. By the way, you say, I did ask him to save me, believing he would, but I'm not sure. Hey, 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 you know where assurance comes from? What he promised he's able to perform. From God's word, who does the saving, us or him? He is called the Savior. We never are. We can't save ourselves. He's the Savior. He's God, our Savior. So if he's the Savior, can he do what he promised to do? That's assurance of salvation. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I am persuaded he can do what he promised to do. He promised if I would trust him, he would forgive my sins and make me new. I believe him. Is it that simple? Oh, it is. How about you say, I know I'm saved. I'm trusting him for salvation. Well, how about this? God has, he wants to sanctify your life. Living a clean and holy life, it's too hard. It is for you, but it's not for him. Well, God wants me to serve in some capacity. I feel and sense that God is leading me to serve Him in some way, but I look at what I think He's leading me to do, whether it's just right now as a child living an obedient life to my parents and serving the Lord by how I live in my home. Maybe He's leading me to just serve by, 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 by giving out His Word, by being faithful. It's just impossible. I can't serve the way God wants me to. Well, if God's calling you to, He can enable you. I realize that if I serve the Lord, there's going to be a level of suffering, and I'm not strong. I cannot endure suffering without yielding to it. Well, you can, but God can. So this is a pep-me-up message. No, this is a message of truth. What God designs, He provides for. He said, I'm promising your wife's going to have a child. I'm going to perform that. And when Zacharias believed the promise of God, guess what happened? The child was born. He was exactly what God said he would be. He did exactly what God said he would do. And then the praise of God was in Zacharias' mouth. You know why I think sometimes it's so very hard for us to praise God? We've not actually seen God fulfill His promises in our life in a while. Been a while since we've taken God at His word and watched Him move on our behalf. So then the praise is nothing more than words. 
not real praise. Do you think anybody had to say, okay, Zacharias, it's hymn singing time. You got your mouth back. Would you like to sing us a hymn of praise? Not really. They might have to prod him. You know why we have to be prodded? I'm preaching now. I nothing to praise him about. It's been a long time since we realized he did anything for us. Why doesn't God do anything for me? He's made a lot of promises. That's a good question. He said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So what have we got to praise him for this morning? Has he made no promises that are applicable to us? He said, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Pastor, he said that to Jeremiah. And all the promises of God in him are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. How about that? If Jeremiah 33 and 3 doesn't work for you. How about Matthew 7, 7 and 8? Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. When was the last time the devil fled from you because you believe what God promised he was able also to perform? He said, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some look at that verse and say, well, I wish that was true. It is true. We just don't believe he can do what he says. Amen. Which is it this morning? Well, I don't know. What, I, the, what God's will for my life is just so impossible. It's just not possible. He might have to take something from us to remind us on occasion. Don't do that. But we're reminded, no, when God makes a promise, let's take him at his word. And you know what I believe? The praise that flowed from Zacharias' mouth. He said, let me tell you about how good God is. This morning, it shouldn't be hard for us as Christians to tell people how faithful our God is. We should have been taking him in his promises and watching him perform. Taking him in his promises and watching him perform. And then we have something praising for. Mm-hmm.